0: come along with us as we explore the broad world of preservation and the work being done to preserve interpret and save our past in a 21st century world from aquaculture to historic foodways to forensic modeling we're talking weekly with experts from across the globe this is your host nick redding welcome to preservecast Join us on this week's PreserveCast episode as we talk with Mary Cleary, Senior Editor at the Smithsonian American Art Museum, and Michael Knapp, Chief of Historical Services at the American Battle Monuments Commission, about their newly released book, Time Will Not Dim, American Battle Monuments Commission, A Century of Service, 1923 to 2023. Mary and Michael will take us through the book, their experience working on it, and the history and future of the ABMC. All that and more on this week's PreserveCast. This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to Preserve Cast. And today, we're thrilled to be joined by two uh, guests to Preserve Cast. We're talking with Mary Cleary, who is the senior editor at the Smithsonian American Art Museum, as well as Michael Knapp, who is the chief of historical services at the American Battle Monuments Commission. Uh, and we're going to be talking about what those two entities to do and how they have collaborated together around a newly released book called "Time Will Not Dim." American Battle Monuments Commission: A Century of Service, nineteen twenty three to two thousand and twenty three, and so we're going to be talking all about that. But like we normally do, uh, we like to get to know folks before we start chatting. So um, maybe I'll toss this out to Mary, and then we'll go to Michael. Um, Mary, where did you grow up, and and how does one get into the kind of position that you're in today? How did you? What was your path to um, working at the Smithsonian?
1: So I, I grew up in, in the Hudson Valley in New York, and I came south to go to college, and after I graduated um, from Mary Washington, I decided to stay on in Washington and, and try and, you know, make a go of it there. I had, I had um, majored in English, and I decided that I would try for publishing um, so one of my first jobs was actually working as an editorial assistant for Harcourt Brace Jovanovich Publishers in College Textbooks. I helped work um, on their humanities lists, and while at HBJ, I had the opportunity, um, the wonderful opportunity to work with former Senator Eugene McCarthy, who at that time was on the board of directors, I believe, and he had a... Um, an office in the Washington office of Harcourt, where I worked. Um, from there, um, I transitioned to the Smithsonian uh, in 1990. Um, it, it was really the most extraordinary bit of luck. Um, I had I had seen that the Sackler Gallery was looking for an editorial assistant, and it was literally a cold call. <laughs> Uh, to the front desk, and I said I was interested in this, and I was brought on board within a few weeks, and that was the beginning of my Smithsonian uh, career. My background is really uh, in English literature, um, publishing, and international uh, studies, but all of that has, um, I've been able to apply beautifully uh, to my job here at the Smithsonian.
0: Yeah, and it seems like it's a perfect fit for this project that we're going to be talking about today, sort of the, the blending of all the different pieces, because there's um, a lot of everything that you're talking about um, in this book and not only in the book, but um, in the American Battle Monuments Commission. Um, so, Michael, before we define what ABMC is, we'll pitch that to you after this. Um, what is your what is your story? Um, where'd you grow up and how did you get into this line of work?
2: So uh, <clears throat> I was actually born in Washington, D.C., uh, and, uh, very quickly, uh, I was taken home to Northern Virginia and I grew up in predominantly in Falls Church, Virginia. Um, and I, uh, ended up, uh, I went to uh, college at the Virginia Military Institute in Lexington, Virginia. And from there, uh, I, uh, I worked, uh, mostly in the Northern Virginia area for many years. I worked for the National Archives, uh, for about 13 and a half years, and then, uh, then relocated to, uh, to Vermont with my wife. And we lived in uh, rural Vermont I worked at Middlebury college for several years. Um, uh, all in history, uh, in, in the course of that time, I had, uh, I had a, a bachelor's in history from VMI and then a, a master's from George Mason and subsequently, uh, did some, uh, museum history courses at, uh, at George Washington university. Uh, and <clears throat> from, uh, from Vermont, uh, while we were living there, I, I was uh, in the National Guard and I deployed to Afghanistan, came back from that deployment and uh, was offered a job working uh, for the U.S. Army uh, Heritage and Education Center at the Army War College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Uh, and so subsequently moved down there and from there uh, moved back to the D.C. area and uh, worked uh, as the uh, assistant director for, of Army Museums for the U.S. Army Center of Military History. Um, and I worked there, uh, until 2014, when I went back to Afghanistan as the chief of historical, or the, uh, excuse me, as the command historian for U.S. forces, Afghanistan. And when I returned from that, uh, at the, right about the end of 2014, um, I was offered, uh, the opportunity to move from, uh, center of military history over to the American Battle Monuments Commission as the, uh, chief of their historical services, uh, which I did in 2015. And I've been there since then.
0: Well, and for people, this is an audio podcast, but you can't see Michael. He's, he has what appears to be sort of, uh, his own personal military museum behind him, um, which we're, I'm enjoying taking a look at. It's actually sort of a perfect segue though, from, you know, you were talking about, here's all the things that you did. And then you ended up at the American battle monuments commission. And for a lot of Americans, um, It's not something that they bump into too often unless they go overseas. Um, And I think that's one of the great things about this book is that it introduces um, or reintroduces or or reframes uh, this amazing um, organization and agency for an American audience. But um, maybe, Michael, you could kind of tell us about what the American Battle Monuments Commission is for somebody who has no awareness of it.
2: Yeah, you know, and for anybody uh, that's listening on this, if if you don't have any awareness of ABMC, don't feel bad because you are certainly by far in the majority. Uh, The ABMC uh, was created in 1923 uh, as a result of the First World War. And I'll try to readers digest this real quickly, but um, with uh, about 80,000, over between 80 and 100,000 casualties of Americans from our 18 months in that war, uh, America was faced for the first time with the decision of what do we do with with all those bodies and how do we commemorate the service? And there are two sort of parallel missions that converged. Uh, at the end of the day, the Army Graves Registration Service created uh, permanent cemeteries, eight permanent cemeteries in uh, in Europe where uh, World War I soldiers were interred. And um, They basically gave families a choice of whether they wanted to have the bodies returned home or buried overseas. Uh, About 60 percent chose to have the bodies returned, and that was all paid for by the U.S. government. The remaining 39 plus percent uh, opted for burial in permanent cemeteries overseas. The land was uh, given to the U.S. in perpetuity by the host governments, in this case for World War I, primarily France. as long as they were used for cemeteries. And um, at the same time, uh, General Pershing, who had commanded the American Expeditionary Forces, was concerned about the proliferation of monuments uh, across Europe. Every, uh, sometimes down to the company level, people were putting up these monuments and some of them were just built out of rubble and some were uh, intended to be fancier. Uh, And they didn't want it to turn into Gettysburg. Uh, So basically, Uh, Congress created the American Battle Monuments Board, and in 1923 it was turned into the American Battle Monuments Commission with General Pershing as the first chairman, and they were responsible for determining and approving any memorials that would be erected to uh, commemorate the service uh, of American forces in the war. And shortly thereafter, the cemeteries were added into the ABMC portfolio, and that's primarily what we're known for So the ABMC is a small agency of the executive branch of the federal government. I think we have a total of about 480 employees worldwide. Predominantly, those are foreign nationals that work uh, at the different cemeteries. Um, And we administer 26 cemeteries and 32 monuments in 17 foreign countries. There is, at every cemetery, there is an American superintendent. At some of the larger ones, there's an American assistant superintendent. And then the rest of the staff at those cemeteries are all uh, locally hired nationals. Um, Following World War II, they copied the World War I model and created additional cemeteries. Uh, The most famous of those that people, or let me say the most well-known, certainly, is Normandy, uh, the Normandy American Cemetery. Uh, After World War II, the U.S. government went to a program of uh, what we still use today, which is called Concurrent Return. When individuals are are killed, uh, their remains are returned uh, to the United States for burial, either in private cemeteries or national cemeteries. Um, So we don't have any new cemeteries, uh, but we do have um, movements to put up monuments to continue our mission. That's still part of our mission. And the ABMC is uh, governed, if you will, by a uh, presidentially uh, appointed uh, secretary and a board of commissioners. Uh, We currently have 11 commissioners. Uh, In its early days, I think there were only seven, but uh, we're up to 11 now. And those are appointed by the president, uh, and they serve uh, at the pleasure of the president. And then we have the smaller staff of uh, federal workers. So that's in a nutshell, kind of who we are and and what we do. Uh, but for anybody that's watched any of the Normandy anniversaries, um, that's that's what our cemeteries are like, and we kind of think we're we're the gold standard there.
0: I I would agree with that. I think it's a perfect <laughs> way to put a capstone on that great explanation. It's like you've been asked this question before, um, <laughs> and um, the 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 gold uh, sort of. Um, it, example of of cemetery maintenance and and care i mean the seeing the overseas cemeteries is um a different experience um and if if you don't well up with a little bit of emotion going and and seeing those places um well anyway it's uh it's a it's a powerful experience to see them and so i I would certainly encourage people to not only do it but if you can't do it at least take a look online and and see these places or pick up a, a book um, like the one we're talking about today, which is time will not dim the American battle Monuments commission, a century of service. So we heard from Michael that this started in, you know, in earnest in 1923 after world war one, trying to figure out what to do with this incredible amount of casualties, um, uh, caused by, uh, America's pretty brief uh, engagement in that conflict. And then the subsequent, um, experience of world war two, um, I'm. I'm curious. Maybe we'll we'll kind of move over to Mary here, um, and talk about how did this come about. I mean, obviously, it's a it's a big, um, you know, anniversary and a commemoration. Um, but where did the um, collaboration come from, and and how does this book kind of um, take on a, a century of stories um, in a way that is digestible?
1: So, ABMC. Um, wanted to create um, a centennial publication that would be published uh, around June of 2023 of this year, uh, honoring their 100 years of service. And they knew that they wanted a coffee table book, but they really wanted a beautiful book. And so ABMC um, very thoughtfully um, turned to the American Art Museum here at the Smithsonian. Um, My colleagues and I here in publications, we do art books every day. Uh, We publish them every year. Mm. So we're very familiar with the kind of high production quality values that go into making a a book that is not only informative, but also just beautiful um, to look at. So... um, I think ABMC approached our director's office and said, "You know, maybe this would work as an interagency project." And so, once once those conversations uh, got underway, you know, we were really kind of off and running, um, and started meeting in December of 2021 to really start unpacking this idea of a centennial book. Um, my team here at SAM. Um, had to get familiar pretty quickly with not only ABMC's commission history, but also with the world history that their work um, comprehensively uh, deals with uh, every day, you know, World War One, World War II, and then the other conflicts and memorials uh, that their work honors. So really it was our team's meeting in the middle. Um, we met once a week for eighteen months, um, working on this idea, um, and the first order of business, really, before we could even get to writing and editing and proofreading, was to um, really develop the idea of what story ABMC wanted to tell. So, we t- we tossed around a few ideas, but we realized that because the book would be celebrating a centennial of ABMC's work that really it, it was meant to honor ABMC, but also in the process honor the service members whose sacrifice is at the center of their work. So it was really kind of kind of two, uh, two ideas that we had to sort of weave together and bring into the middle. Now, in a coffee table book, you have... Um, there's mostly it's a majority of of visual, right? It's a lot of images with minimal text. Um, So we had to really start sifting through not only the visual assets that ABMC has, you know, the photography it has of its sites, but my team here also needed to do a bit of photographic research to try and, I guess you could say fill in the blanks or look for visuals that would help support the narrative of the story. And we realized that the story that we really wanted to tell um, would entail looking at how ABMC thoughtfully and deliberately designed these sites from day one, from 1923, right to the present day.
0: Yeah. I was going to, I was going to mention that in that people listening might be like, well, what is the art piece of this? But if you go to one of these cemeteries, particularly, the ones with the World War Two dead, um, the, the soaring sort of uh, mid-century, early mid-century modernist design, the maps, the I'm thinking of like the bas-relief and um, these sort of iconic big structures, these powerful big concrete, in some cases, sort of almost early brutalist, um, sort of on the edge of that kind of uh, art and design is really something else. I mean, they they are they are a product of their time. Um, And so I think that that's that's an interesting piece here for people who say, you know, perhaps they're not interested in in World War Two cemeteries, but they're interested in in modernist design. There's a little bit of something in here for everyone. And um, there there are some powerful places that we don't really have like it stateside. You don't really see that with... I've always been curious about that. I mean, that's a whole other probably podcast, but um, why the American cemeteries here didn't really reflect that. I mean, they're they're so soaring and so powerful overseas. It's a very different experience here stateside, but that's, a, that's another conversation. But um, I, I just wanted to point that out, that there's a really big artistic piece to this story as well, um, really profound.
1: Yes, and it, and it involves comprehensively so many elements across the sites themselves. Um, I mean you have literally the the design of the headstones, the marble headstones, which are very simple white crosses and stars of David um, but but the deliberate design you know goes well beyond that um, to to give Americans who who fell in Europe um, these absolutely you know beautiful contemplative, Places to rest. Um, there is also memorial chapels. There are individual pieces of sculpture and artworks within the cemeteries. Um, there are, of course, the battle maps, which are beautiful mosaics.
0: Actually. I was just going to say the maps are like something else. I mean, you could um, you could you could print and frame one of those and put it on your wall. Um, there, and who knows, Michael might have one in another another section of this this view. <laughs>
1: But the other interesting aspect of the sites themselves is uh, ABMC also considers local horticulture uh, mm. to um, to enliven and make these places uh, supremely beautiful. Um, so ABMC considers absolutely every detail within a cemetery site. You know, it's not just one thing. It's comprehensively all of these elements. And they want to use you know, art and symbolism to underscore um, American achievement and American sacrifice and to give people who do visit the sites these very contemplative places where they can consider, um, you know, what happened there. Um, the cemeteries themselves are often, for World War One and World War II, they're built at or near the battlefield sites themselves. So right. you have not only deliberate design, but you also have This power of place, um, which I have felt most palpably at Normandy, where I have where I visited several years ago. You know, you just have this this remarkable integration of American sacrifice and power of place, um, because that is that is actually where it happened.
0: Yeah, you get that. You get that at every one of them. I went to the Meuse-Argonne and um, also went to Luxembourg American Cemetery. I mean, they all. Have a unique feel to them. Um, so we're recording this uh, sort of as we approach the holiday season here. Um, and it perhaps it would be a great uh, um, holiday gift for somebody who's interested in this aspect of American history. Where's the best place to get it, Mary? Where Where do you recommend people purchase this?
1: So the book can be purchased. Um at the Smithsonian American um, Art Museum website. You know, it's AmericanArt.Si.edu forward slash books. Just search for the title, Time Will Not Dim, and it will take you directly to the book page uh, where you can order it. You can also write in to the publications office at so pubord at si.edu. So that's P U B O R D at si.edu. And people can, uh, can purchase the book.
0: Yeah, and that's a great way to get it directly and to support the work. Of uh, the Smithsonian, um, which touches so many different aspects of American history, I was just meeting with people at the Folklife uh, Center and talking about the work that they do, and then I just saw something recently about the Anacostia Museum. I mean, the Smithsonian touches so many different pieces of American history in so many different ways, and so it's always fun when we get to talk to folks here from the Smithsonian. We've done some previously about foodways. We've done we've we've talked to people about a lot of different things. I feel like you could you could talk to someone at the Smithsonian every day and and still never cover all the things that you're working on. Um, Michael, I'm curious, you know, this is a retrospective looking back at the last hundred years. Um, and as you mentioned, <clears throat> we don't, um, as a nation, follow this this plan anymore. We don't build overseas cemeteries and and hopefully, God willing, we won't get into uh, conflicts where there are this number of casualties like uh, there were during, during these massive conflicts of the 20th century. Um, what what role does abmc take in the next 100 years is it is it is it the same role is it become even more of a preservation organization um because we're losing you know i, I can't imagine you have too many veterans now going overseas to see their comrades it's it's not a uh, a memorial in the sense that it's providing a place for for grief and understanding it it really seems like it's it becomes more of a preservation organization but perhaps i'm wrong what i mean is this a moment to look forward to the next hundred years
2: well well it is and you know honestly it's a little bit of both um we we kind of like to say that you know the agency evolved from its origins as a grieving organization Hmm. that allowed the families and you know specifically uh parents children widows widowers to to visit the graves of of their loved ones. And as Mary talked about in the book to, you know, they were all designed as these deeply sort of moving contemplative places. Um, But we've evolved into a uh, more of an education learning organization uh, in that uh, you rightly point out that, you know, we're getting farther and farther away from these events. So part of our mission is to continually put this information in front of the American public. I mean, that, that is, you know, we, we are the federal government and our job is to make the American public aware of the service and sacrifice of American service members. Um, so having said that, you know, looking to the future, a great deal of what we're doing is, is an education piece. And, and I'll put in a shameless plug for ourselves in the Smithsonian American Art Museum. We've been collaborating now for about three years, I think, an education program together uh, using art as the vehicle and that was again the purpose of this book was uh, people may not know about us but people may love art they know these famous architects artists horticulturalists uh, and and through that medium we can get people to be more aware of us another thing that we uh, work on is trying to pro- provide a historical context why are there Americans and i used use my favorite little cemetery where I worked for a couple months as an acting superintendent up on the Somme. There's about 1400 burials there and it's in the middle of sugar beet fields up, up uh, near the actions on the Hindenburg line in November of 1918. Um, why are there Americans buried here? And and so providing that context about the larger history, the military history, the world history, but then giving some rationale to that, the whole idea of the alliances and, and things like that. So So we're doing a lot of history still. I would I would also say that we continue we will continue in perpetuity that's a commitment of the federal government to maintain these cemeteries for the next 100 years. I mean that was the sort of underlying message. We've done this for 100 years, we're going to keep doing it for the next 100 years and on and on and on. But additionally as as other conflicts have happened, we're still working to as part of the mission at the direction of our commissioners to memorialize the service and sacrifice of Americans in the other wars. And I would say, you know, just as a a background note, there is discussion about uh, memorials to Americans in the Cold War, uh, memorials to Vietnam. Some of these are closer to fruition. Others are further away. Uh, As you might imagine, our memorials are generally set up in the countries where those happen. So there has to be a bilateral agreement. Um, Korea, I know there is a move the the part of the Korean government wants an additional monument at Incheon to, to commemorate the landings there. Uh, and that's slowly moving forward. But, you know, there's as you might imagine, there are a lot of uh, uh, of issues uh, culturally with with countries. Vietnam is not yet ready for us to put a monument there, although we're uh, you know, we're on better terms. But, you know, these are, these are done in, in conjunction with us, with our uh, State Department and then with the foreign government. So that's part of what we're doing. Going forward, uh, but it's also preserving the memory. It's preserving these sites and, of course, this beautiful artwork and everything that exists. And as you might imagine, uh, Mary touched on horticulture. You know, that becomes a big challenge with the, uh, the environment nowadays and what's going on uh, with that. You know, recently we had a big problem with the water restrictions in, in France. Uh, and all the green grass at our cemeteries, they weren't allowed to water because of the droughts in Europe. So, you know, there's a lot of these things that will go on that will be in preservation in that sense, but Mm -hmm. it's additional history. And I would would also offer that we continue to serve families of of those buried and memorialized in our cemeteries, but it tends to be no longer, you know, the spouses. And and if you look at the children, most of the children are in their late seventies or early eighties, but it's the grandchildren, the great-grandnephews, the families. And so uh, we're trying to do that through uh, outreach, our visitor services, uh, and and to just get the stories out there and to continue to let people know. But uh, one other thing I would touch on is uh, we're also sort of a, a quiet, uh, passive form of diplomacy uh, by having these sites in, in these countries. And uh, it, it's amazing the number of school children that come on tours annually, you know, multiple schools at the cemeteries, because this is a big part of their history. And, and generally, it's a liberation story. So you know, we're we're probably more well known uh, by, by uh, children in, in France and the Netherlands and Belgium than we are by children in the US. So part of our mission going forward is to try and expand that knowledge base.
0: Fantastic. Well, I mean, that's a it's that's, you know, interesting and, and um, sort of a good way to kind of begin to cap this conversation about what's next. And so for you, for the next hundred years, we'll have to have you back to talk about that uh, monument at Inchon because uh, a little personal interest there. My grandfather landed at Inchon. Um, so we'd love to hear more about that. Um, Mary, uh, what are you working on next? I'm sure you have something in production. Is there anything you can share with us that you're working on?
1: Well, we we are um kind of launching a, a new project on grandma moses uh her the artist anna mary robertson moses better known as grandma moses um it's a it's an exhibition that's slated to open here at american art in october of 2025 um, we're just starting to uh, piece the exhibit catalog together um we're looking at about four authors and the checklist of artworks will be somewhere between maybe 85 and a hundred. And it's, uh, it looks at, uh, Grandma Moses's popularity in mid-century America. Um, so
0: you're, you're making a, a real, a hard pivot to something completely different, which is probably pretty interesting.
1: Well, the, I've often said this to, to people, but, um, museum editorial is endlessly fascinating. I mean, every project on my desk is, is interesting. And I will say that, um, obviously my team greatly enjoyed the ABMC project. Um, as I've, as I've told people so many times, you know, I have a personal interest in World War II. Um, so for me, the, the project, the interagency project to work on Time Will Not Dim was, was of personal and professional interest to me, for sure. That It was just this extraordinary combination of something that I've always been deeply interested in and a chance to work professionally on a project that that touches on this very history. So it's been absolutely wonderful.
0: Well, that probably is a great place to end the conversation. I'm, I'm thrilled to have had both of you here to talk about this. It's interesting to hear both about this publication process and then the history of this really fascinating agency and the future of that agency. Um, we'll have to have you back, uh, both of you back at some point to talk about future projects and the work that you're doing. But I wanna thank you both for joining us today here on PreserveCast.
1: Thank you so much, Nicholas.
2: Thank you for having me. And yeah, we're, we're hoping to work with Mary again. It, it, it's still on the drawing board, but we're trying to come up with another project that was great experience.
0: Fantastic, well, we'll be here for when that happens. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's story, head over to PreserveCast.org for show notes and our collection of previous episodes. Don't forget to engage with this podcast by subscribing, commenting, and leaving a review. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PreserveCast for even more. PreserveCast is currently recorded in Walkersville, Maryland and sponsored by the 1772 Foundation and powered by Preservation Maryland. Thanks for listening and keep on preserving.